So good to see you for real uh, today. Encouraging to be back a little with a few of you in the house of the Lord to worship together. Uh, if you're still at home worshiping, that's great. We're trusting that you're also encouraged in Jesus Christ as we, uh, as we worship and study God's word. And we look forward to seeing you again as the uh, government opens things up and as you feel comfortable and are, are ready to come back to church. But no pressure. Uh, we are all celebrating the way that we feel comfortable at this point, and so we want to continue to do that. And so we're going to continue our study this morning uh, with Mark uh, chapter 10. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles there, Mark chapter chapter 10, uh, verses 45 to 52, just a little end section. I know we're skipping some here, and it's not because it's content that is not any good, but I've already preached the message on uh, really the greatness, and that's really what the next, uh, next passage is, the quest of James and John to be first in heaven. I've already preached the message on that, so you can go back and see that. And so we're going to skip right on here to uh, the last part of uh, Mark chapter 10, and really we're wrapping up our whole mini-series that we've been doing since Easter on what it is to follow Jesus, following the leader. And really, it's an intense call to discipleship. And Jesus has already shown us some, in, some in-depth realities of what it's going to look like if we're truly going to follow him. We see in the call to discipleship, Jesus longs for our best, but he calls also for our all. That's really discipleship. Jesus longing to give us our best, but also Jesus asking us for our all. And it's really intense. The call to discipleship is intense. We've studied topics so far like deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus. We've looked at things like sin and overcoming sin and, and even allowing Jesus to rearrange our thinking on marriage and money and teaching us how to walk by faith. And if you're anything like me as we go through Mark, we're like, man, this is an intense call, this discipleship thing. We so often put it in our little package from church, right? Well, discipleship is this little study I do. No, it's a lifelong calling. And it can be a little intimidating, yet when we see Jesus, we long to follow him in any way he calls us. But it's not just a calling. It's not just an intense calling. We've also seen in the last few months the reality that Jesus Christ has also given us immense blessings when we're his disciples. Remember from a few weeks ago, we see the glory of God. And remember the Jesus on transfiguration, we see the glory of God as we follow him. We have the privilege and joy of serving him as we serve others and finding true greatness. We find fellowship in his family. We find the greatest inheritance of all, eternity with Jesus Christ in glory. So it's not just to like, I'll give, 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 give. It's, it's also, man, like, like I receive, receive, receive. And I just want to end this kind of mini-series with reminding you that Jesus just isn't just a taskmaster. So you might already have this impression from this, this, this study that, man, it's just a taskmaster. You have to do, 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 do. That's not it. Jesus isn't the coach with the whistle going like, come on, give me more, give me more, give me more. You can give me more. Yes, he does demand our everything, but Jesus also has another side to him. It's, he's like the grandfatherly qualities, I guess you can say. He loves us immensely. He always has the time of day for us. He enjoys having us over. He defends us at all costs. The grandfather, even against your parents sometimes. He's your biggest advocate that's always there for you. This is equally Jesus. Yes, he has demands for us, but he also gives to us tremendously. In fact, if you look at the last part of Mark chapter 10, verse 45 here, uh, 45, it says this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Doesn't that verse ever strike you as odd? For Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is really the, the nature of Jesus. 
He gives and he gives and he gives and he welcomes us tenderly in as little children to what? To honestly, we're much more on the receiving and the giving end when it comes to Jesus, isn't it true? That's what we're gonna see in the text today, his care for us and the fact that he will always, always give us the time of day. And so Jesus' tender care is what I've called this sermon. Let's look at verse uh, 46 here to the end. Let me read this and then I'll comment on it uh, briefly this morning. Here's what it says. Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. And they came to Jericho and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and with a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, obvious, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. As always, let me stop and pray before we get into unpacking this text. But I pray you've already seen the fact that Jesus wants to speak to us this morning about his tender, loving care for our lives. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have been so faithful to us over the past 14 weeks all that's going on in our world, it seems like it's upside down and things are chaos, but God, you stand firm. You are upside right and everything is calm in your world. Thank you, God, that you're sovereign, God, that you are in control. And, and thank you, God, that you've, you've, uh, you're doing such deep work in our lives through this season. And God, we just ask for more this morning. Thank you for the privilege of gathering with just a few today. It's, it's such a joy to see faces and, and even from a distance talk and have conversations. Thank you for the, the little glimpse of the family of God we're seeing today. And God, we pray that you would continue to move and continue to act and continue to work in all of our lives and, and in the world around us, God, continue to, continue to work out your perfect will. We love you, God, and we pray that you'd speak powerfully to us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. All right, number one in your notes, you can put this down. Uh, Jesus will always give me the time of day. Jesus will always give me the time of day. Let, let me just help you understand what's going on in this text. Most likely, this is an eyewitness account. You know, sometimes we get to text, we're like, is that really true? Or is that one of those fables that was passed on from generation to generation? This is an eyewitness account as obvious by the vividness and the precision of the story, including even the names that are used within the story. Most healing accounts don't give a name. It's just somebody saying, and this person was healed, or that person was healed. This is very clear. The person that was healed is Bar, uh, Bar, Bartimaeus. And so it's clearly somebody who ended up being uh, in the Christian community. And so what's happening here is Jesus, again, is in Jericho. We see it in the text. He's in Jericho. Where is Jericho? It's about five miles west of the Jordan and, and about 18 miles northeast of Jerusalem. So it's a little town, about 18 miles from the city. And so Jesus is there. And what's he doing in Jer Jericho? Probably what he was doing in every town he went to. What was he doing? He was preaching, and he was healing, and he was ministering, and, and teaching his disciples. And so as he's leaving the town, notice he's leaving now. It doesn't tell us what he did there, but he's leaving. Maybe he stopped overnight. But he's got everything packed up again, his disciples ready to go. And as he's leaving the city with a great crowd, or what's with a great crowd? Well, it's either because he was teaching a lot and they're in, 
enthralled with him as many times it happened, or it's now the crowd heading to Jerusalem uh, for the religious festiv- festivals, and Jesus is leading the crowd. Remember, the next, the next text actually goes into the, the triumphal entry in Jerusalem. So they're, they're leading this now pilgrimage to the main city. And as they're going there, they come across a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, who's just sitting along the roadside. So we already see the compare and contrast. Big crowd, all the hype, people are like flocking to Jesus. This little lonely guy sitting there, the outcast of society, and, and nobody probably paid any attention to him. And probably, in fact, he was sitting there because that's a great place to sit when the pilgrims are going to the religious hub because they're a little pious right now. They're full of joy, and they're most likely to drop some alms in his lap and there's some giving. Like, hey, now's a great time to, to beg for money, right? And so strategic. But mostly people just walked by those people. And yet notice Jesus' response here. Think of this again. Whenever you're packed up for a journey, you guys know how long it takes to pack up your car to go on vacation, right? All the guys are like, absolutely. The ladies, it's not a problem. I just make the list and the guy does it. But us guys, we know it's a chore. And when you're all packed up and you got your GPS on or your ways on and family's loaded in, what's the last thing you want at this point? The phone to ring and someone to ask you anything, Right? You're just happy to be in the car and everyone's buckled in and now here we go. And yet this is what's happening here. They're on their way. Jesus has bigger things that are coming down. He knows why he's going to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? Because that is where he is eventually going to die and be the savior of the world. Like he is not, again, wandering through the wilderness now. He is on mission. And yet in the midst of this mission, this little man named Bartimaeus All that is means is the son of Timaeus. Bar is the prefect, son of Timaeus. Also became known in the later church. He hears of Jesus. Can't see him, so he hears of Jesus. Well, how did he hear of Jesus? Probably because the hype was not about the religious festivities. It was about Jesus Christ being in Jericho and now going to Jerusalem with them. Jesus didn't walk around going, it's Jesus, I'm coming. Or the crowd, Jesus, Jesus. Anyway, somehow he caught wind of it. And look what happens here. The excitement in the air. Disciples are probably talking him up. And he calls out to Jesus. Again, put yourself in the place of the blind beggar. Big crowds, all these things going on. You probably would think that I'm the least of Jesus' thoughts right now. I'm not going to bring him much fame. There's all these people following him. Like, what's he even going to have to do with me? But look what it says here. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, very seldom used in the New Testament. This all simply means that there's only one good thing that ever came from Nazareth. It was Jesus Christ. So it's the Jesus. For you football fans, like the, the Ohio State University, like it's the only one. But this is the Jesus, like it's the only one, because he is the only one. So he began to cry, and look what he says. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Notice what he calls him. Doesn't call him teacher, as even Peter did at some significant times, right? Jesus, son of David. In other words, he's acknowledging that the Messiah was going to come from the lineage of the greatest king of Israel that ever lived, King David. But this was going to be the greatest king and not just come from his lineage, but fulfill all of the promises that that they knew the Messiah was going to fulfill. So what he's doing here is saying, Jesus, I know, I know who you really are. It's a messianic title that's stated twice in the text for impact. Jesus, I know who you really are. You're the son of the living God, the promised Messiah of Israel. And then what he says is so profound. It's, it, it's simply this, have mercy on me. See it? 
Have mercy on me for powerful words. What's he asking him here? He's acknowledging that he is the, the greatest king that's ever come. And, oh, king, you have all power. You have all dominion. I don't deserve anything from you at all. But just show me mercy, like in your compassion and your kindness, show me a little bit of mercy. Here's what mercy is. Mercy is simply, by the dictionary, it's compassion and forgiveness shown towards someone to whom it's within one's power to punish or harm. In other words, someone who has all the right and ability to punish and harm us, to show mercy is like, just let me off scot-free. Please don't exact that punishment on me that you exercise your power over me. It's like when you're a kid and you're wrestling. Remember when you're wrestling with when you're kids and sometimes you're on the bottom of this, sometimes you're on the top of this, but you get somebody in a hole and they can't move and you're loving it, right? If you're on the top and on the bottom, you're hating it. And what do you say to the person on the bottom if you're on the top? Like, say, uncle, right? I got you. Or if you're in the bottom, you're like, what up, what up? No, like, say, uncle, like, have mercy. Like, like I'm in need. You can give me reprieve. That's what mercy is like. God, give me reprieve. And Notice, though, when he calls out, the many rebuked him, like angry at him, telling him to be silent. Why would they be so angry at a blind beggar telling him to be silent? Why would they rebuke this poor man on the side of the road? Probably because their hearts were hard to beggars and they just saw them as the nobodies of the world, the cast off. And they're like, like don't you see Jesus has something big going on here? Like, he, we're on our way somewhere important. Like, what, what, what time is he going to have for you? They rebuked him. Interesting that oftentimes when Jesus healed somebody, it was after they were healed, he'd say, now go and tell anyone. This time before they're healed, they're even told to be silent. But I, I love the, the urgency and the gumption of the blind man, Bartimaeus. Look what happens. You know, if it was me, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be probably crawling up in shame. You're right, I got nothing. Like, uh, you know, I'm just a lowly beggar. Like, you're right, I deserve nothing. I, I just shut up and I'd be unseen. But look at, look at Bartimaeus. He knows it's Jesus' only hope. He knows Jesus is only hope. So he gets louder instead of quieter. He gets louder instead of quieter. And he calls out again, son of David, have mercy on me like the persistent widow. Come on, Jesus, come on. You're my only hope. If you don't see me, I'm going to sit here for life. Jesus now, Jesus now. And then I think the most profound words of this text are the next few words, the next three words. Uh, look at them, verse 49. And Jesus stopped. I think those are the most profound words of this whole text. I know we've heard a lot of uh, healing stories already in Mark and, and a lot of Jesus' great miracles, but think of this. And Jesus stopped. This person on the side of the road that we would probably pass by. Think of going to church at Sir Winston when we went there and the people in the corners. We drive right by with a blink and a, having a blink and challenge you before. Like, like think about who you're passing on the way. This, this guy that we'd probably pass by and we'd probably scoff at. And Jesus, even the people were rebuking him and the crowd's probably pushing him. Jesus, what did he do? He stopped. What do you think would happen when Jesus stopped? The disciples stopped. The crowd stopped. The chatter of the disciples ceased. The crowd got quiet for 
Bartimaeus, probably his world stopped. Ever been in the presence of greatness? You're like, oh, it's, it's whoever the celebrity is that you've seen. And this, like, you know, kind of like, Bartimaeus, probably his heart stopped. He's acknowledging me. Notice the patience and the compassion in the heart of Jesus in this text. He's a true people person. He's not just the driving coach with the whistle. He's a true... He's a true people person with the heart of a grandfather. He stopped and he acknowledged the presence of a simple little blind beggar. Let me just stop here and let this story sink in at this point. I first got to this text, to be honest, and I was like, oh my goodness, another healing story. Like, what am I going to say about this? Should I skip this one too and just go on to chapter 11? And yet the more I studied it, the more I looked at it, the more I realized that, oh my goodness, this is what a sweet example of the gospel because aren't we all blind beggars on the side of the road needing a miracle in our lives? Salvation first and most, but every week seems like a new one we need. A calling out to Jesus to, oh, what do we long for in this life? Jesus to stop and acknowledge us. Isn't that true? I'm a blind beggar. Not just for my salvation. Every week I'm a blind beggar. You are too. Don't pretend you have it all together. We're all blind beggars. Amen. Think of this. As Jesus stopped for this insignificant, lowly man in society's eyes, guess what? He also stops for us every time we call out. Amen. Amazing. Even nobodies are somebodies in Jesus' eyes. I've missed that, Brian. Thank you. <laughs> I tried to get Chris to do it a few times, but he just didn't go with me on it. Even nobodies are somebodies in Jesus' eyes. Let this sink in. How many times have you been on the path of life, finding yourself sitting on the side, wondering this, does Jesus really care? Does he care? Does he love me? Maybe you've been like the, I try and put myself sometimes in the, not the hero shoes, because that's definitely not me, but in the, in the secondary role person's shoes, which is Bartimaeus in this point. You ever, you ever think about this? That sometimes we sit on the side of the road with Bartimaeus, and I wonder what he was thinking. I'm pretty sure I'd be thinking stuff like this. Man, does life stink. Man, it feels like I got the short end of the stick in this whole thing called life. Life's not fair. Does anyone care? Does anyone notice me? It sounds like a pity party, but let's be honest, we all have those now and again. How did life turn out like this? When I find myself sitting on the side of the road thinking those questions, here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to put these thoughts into our minds and hearts. Now, I'm speaking from my own heart, even in recent days, but he says this to us, you don't matter. You're one in a eight billion people. Jesus has so much going on. Well, he even take time to bother with me. I'm sure Bartimaeus wondered that, but he didn't care. He started screaming out anyways. Do I really matter to Jesus? The enemy will tell you no, but Jesus is telling us something different here. Here's the other thing that the enemy tells me when I'm in those, those dark, lonely places. Man, my problems are just too small for Jesus. There's bigger people with bigger issues. Surely he's not going to stop, want to stop and listen to mine, so I'm just going to keep it to myself, and I'm going to fight through. 
Or the enemy tells me this, he's got more important things to do. Like the people were probably trying to tell Bartimaeus right in this text. Like Jesus is going to Jerusalem, there's significant things. You, he's, you know, we think he's got wars to, to cease. He's got racial tensions to solve. He's got famines to look after. Really, does he care about me? But yet this, look at this. As Jesus responds to Bartimaeus, so he responds to us every time we find ourselves sitting at the side of the road feeling isolated and lonely. Felt a lot of that in the last few months, haven't we? Just the act of stopping, he hasn't said anything yet, Jesus, but just the act of stopping shows us this, that we are valued immensely in the eyes of God. Every human life valued immensely in the eyes of God. Jesus always has time for me. I might not have time for him. I might think he's too busy, but he always has time for me. My issues are significant to him no matter how insignificant everyone else makes us feel. And he cares tremendously for my life. Some of you need to hear that right now. Just stop and look at the screen and think about these things. We're valued immensely. I, I don't feel it. You're valued immensely. He always has time for me. Even when he's ready to pack up and head out, that phone rings. He's going to stop and give you the time of day. My issues are significant to him, and he cares tremendously about my life. You know what this passage makes me think of? It makes me think of Luke 15. Luke 15 is the passage of everyone's lost, right? The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. And what does that tell us about Jesus Christ? The lost coin is a lady looked, turned her her place upside down looking for the lost coin so Jesus will seek out the isolated and lonely and lost of this world. The lost sheep, he leaves the 99 behind to find the one. And then the, the prodigal son who comes back, he drops everything to welcome the son home. Guess what? We are the one that Jesus ultimately left heaven to come to earth to die for. And he continually, continually holds us with immense value and he gives us his time and we're significant to him and he cares tremendously about us. Isn't that amazing? Pandemic going on. Riots happening. Jesus still cares about you and I. Awesome. Here's what else it teaches us. Jesus responds to everybody's cries for mercy. Shows that even nobody's or somebody's in Jesus' eyes, but Jesus responds to everybody's cries for mercy. I'm sure you've been in this place too, like I have. I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying, and, and it doesn't seem like Jesus is answering, and I'm praying some more. It doesn't seem like Jesus is answering, and, and, and yet we understand from this text that Jesus hears and he understands every plea for mercy. Ever been in that season before where you just don't sense the presence of the Lord? You can't hear his voice, and you think, man, this is just my lot in life. I'm going to stop praying because he's not going to bother with me anyway. I'm sure the temptation of Artemius was that. And then he rebuking you, you stink, you lose, you're always just going to be a blind beggar. I love how this text reminds us when we get to those spots, there's one name and one name only that changes everything for us. It's the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus that, that sparked on Bartimaeus to have this, I believe, this hope and this, this, this promise and this this. this Life that he knew he could have, but only one person could give him. It was Jesus Christ. And I love the urgency of his prayer. When you need mercy, let me ask you this. Who do you call to and how do you call to him? Because look at the urgency of the prayer for mercy. 
I believe Jesus loves these prayers. We're so passive in our Christian circles today. We're so passive. We, we pray the, the, the supper prayers, and I keep telling my youngest especially, Nick, don't say the same thing every supper. Please. Think about it. Change it up. Communicate with God. Have some urgency to it. But as I thought about rebuking my son even last night for that, I think about how many times I come to Jesus and my prayers don't show any level of urgency as Bartimaeus. Maybe I don't think I need him as much as I really do. Maybe I don't think he's going to hear, but, but here's, the, here's the point. Jesus loves it when we urgently call to him and he hears and responds to us when we have that heart of truly pursuing Jesus. Read this tweet this week from someone totally insignificant, so it wouldn't make a difference if I told you who it was, but it says this. When prayer is all that you can do, it's not the least that you can do, it's the most. When prayer is all that you can do, it's not the least that you can do, it's the most. I think of the persistent widow in, uh, in Luke, the persistent widow who, who, who goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and finally the, the unrighteous judge relents. How much more will the righteous, loving God of the universe hear our prayers when we, his children, go and go and go and go? You know what our persistent prayers show him? That we really know we need him desperately and we have no other hope apart from him. The scriptures tell us over and over again, you need mercy, you'll find it in Jesus Christ. We all need mercy. Here's what it says in Psalm 28, verse six and seven. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the, heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield in whom my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. Here's another one, Psalm 116, verses one and two. In fact, I had just finished typing this out in my sermon notes, and somebody, a friend of mine, texted me this very text about something else, and I was like, unbelievable. How is that not God? It's not coincidence, it's God. Listen to what it says in Psalm 116, verses one and two. I, I needed this for my heart this week, and I'm sure you might even need this for your heart today. It says, I love the Lord. Why? Because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon his name as long as I live. Let me ask you this, brothers and sisters, do you need the mercy of the Lord today? What do you need the, not do you need, do, what do you need the mercy of the Lord in today? That maybe you refuse to call out to him or maybe you're unsure if he's gonna answer. Thinking he won't stop and respond. Is it just simply strength for today? Is it a change of heart? Is it change in perspective? Or you find yourself lonely along the road of life, unable to see what's ahead? Are you facing battles today that you simply cannot possibly face on your own? Does life have you stuck? As I'm sure Bartimaeus felt, life have you stuck, feeling there's nothing more? Here's the solution the scriptures tell us. Call out to Jesus for mercy. Maybe you've never encountered Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm pretty sure everyone in this room has because I know you all. You've been members of our church for a long time. Maybe you're watching today and you're sitting there and you're, you're resonating with this, this feeling of being a poor blind beggar and, and you just feel like that God doesn't love you and he is passing you by and, and you just long for something, something more. Here's the plea. Call out to God for mercy wherever you sit. Call out to God for mercy and he will hear and answer your prayers. He hears he answers. He loves. Let it never be beneath us to get to the point where we stop calling out to God for mercy in our lives. May we never be too proud. 
May we never think we have it. May the prayers for mercy as a blind beggar prayed be like our prayers each and every day for the desperate need of Jesus we have. Second thing you can write in your notes, well, probably more than second, second point, I'll say. Hopefully you've taken more than one note by now. Second point you can put in your notes is this. Not only does Jesus give me the time of day, but Jesus invites me to a living encounter with him. Jesus invites me to a living encounter with him. I love that this story is really not a typical miracle story. It's really a call story. It's really an invitation story. It's really a discipleship story. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus stopped and everyone else stopped and Bartimaeus stopped, I'm sure, too, in his tracks. Maybe even his heart stopped for a minute with joy. Here's what Jesus said to him. They said to his disciples, call him. See that? Not heal him, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, this is the threefold call, take heart, get up. He, being Jesus, is calling you. Look at verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Here's Jesus' call on Bartimaeus, the same call he puts on our lives. Uh, Take heart, get up, and come here. When you find yourself on the sidelines as everyone else plows by you on the road of life, feeling lost, feeling abandoned, feeling there's no hope. Here's the call. Call out to Jesus, then do this. Act in faith. Here's what it says. Take heart, get up, and come here. Here's what it means to take heart. It's really cheer up. Cheerio, brother. Over and over, it says in the New Testament, cheer up at least six times in the New Testament, all off the lips of Jesus. He says these words, take heart. He's really saying, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Imagine Bartimaeus, well, how can I be encouraged now? Be encouraged. Why? Because Jesus is here. And be emboldened. Come on, don't just sit there wallowing in your pity. Get up and come to me. I love when he says, get up and come, Bartimaeus. Notice his response compared to the rich man we studied a few weeks ago. Remember the rich man? He's like, hey, what am I to do to be saved? Well, give up all your wealth and give it to the poor, then come follow me. Make me your treasure. Rich man's like, uh-uh, sorry, too hard. Bartimaeus wasn't even given that directive a call. He just said, come to me. Look what Bartimaeus does. He throws off his cloak. He's like, that's not a big deal. It's probably a crappy cloak anyways. Think about a blind beggar. That cloak, that cloak was his comfort. That, that cloak was his protection. That cloak was probably his only possession. And look what he did. He got up, he threw it off with joy. Remember, rich young ruler, oh, I can't do that. This guy's like, I'll do anything. And he's like, come to Jesus. He, he throws it off, he runs uh, to Jesus, and Jesus asks him a question. He, he's showing him his, his clear, like, I'm into you, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'll follow you wherever. And Jesus asks him a question. That really, uh, probably a lesson in humility and dependence. He's like, what do you want for me to do for you today? And probably the whole crowd's like, it's clearly obvious, Jesus. You have to ask that question. I'll answer for him. Disciples are like, really? Jesus is losing it too, too much in the sun, right? Clearly, we know what the guy wants. It's not alms, it's sight. Why does Jesus ask him that question? Same reason we probably ask our kids. Well, again, my youngest, because he's the one that's most dependent upon us right now. You know, climbing, trying to get on a counter for something. He's reaching for it, and he's reaching for it, and it's clear what he wants. He wants the can of Coke, right? And he's reaching for it, and he's reaching for it, and he's like, he refused to ask for help. I'm standing right behind him, refuses to ask for help every time. So you let him struggle, you let him get a little frustrated, like, Nick, why don't you ask for help? Now I can get it myself. What do you want? 
Well, clearly the Coke, Dad. Why do you want him to ask you? He says it just like that, too. He's a little cheeky little monkey. Why do I ask him that? Because I want him to show humility and dependence that I can actually help him and he can have the right heart of receiving and I can have the joy of giving. That's what Jesus is doing here. What do you want me to do? And he says, Rabbi or Rabbani, only a couple places in the New Testament. It's like he knows Jesus is not just any rabbi. He's a better rabbi. In other, in, in other places, this the same word means Lord or master or teacher. He's like best rabbi, Lord. In brackets, you're the only one that can do this. Let me recover my sight. What a bold call. What a call of faith. Notice what Jesus does. No miraculous healing. No touching of eyes or spitting in mud. No like shazam. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. In other words, Bartimaeus, let's go. Join the crowd. Follow him behind my disciples. This is really a call to discipleship passage because look what happened. Immediately he recovered his sight and notice as they told him to be quiet before, unlike most healing stories, but not after. And basically he followed him on the way. Jesus is saying, hey, come, follow me. He followed him on the way. The way was not just the way to Jerusalem. That was the path of discipleship. Jesus followers. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come and follow the way. They refer to themselves as the people of the way. Come and follow Jesus Christ. Notice the healing in this text. You have to see this. Like every one of Jesus' healings, not everyone, most of Jesus' healings. Remember the woman who just touched his cloak, so impersonal. She just kind of got a touch of his cloak. She was healed. Most of Jesus' healings were, were very personal and very intimate, just like these. One. Notice the personal exchange here. Jesus didn't exercise his power in a crazy way or impersonally heal this man, but it was a gen context of genuine involvement which was established by the existence of faith, as one commentator said, sufficient to receive the gift of healing from God. No fanfare, no pronouncement, just healed because his faith made him well. This story is not even a story about a healing ultimately. It's a story about one man's faith that led him to Jesus Christ, that changed his life forever, and led him to a lifetime of walking by faith and not by sight. The whole impetus of this story is Faith, the, the, the word faith can tra be translated to have a double meaning, both physically and spiritually, and I'm sure that this is the point of Mark in this text. Yes, he was healed, but notice the greater healing, no longer uh, abandoned by the side of the road. He's now a part of this entourage with Jesus heading toward the glorious city of Jerusalem where everything was going to be changed once and for all in human history. Part of a group going from sitting beside the road to now walking along the road with Jesus Christ, a gospel story at best. The greater healing in all of these texts is always the spiritual healing that happens as a result of Jesus' activity in people's lives. This is now the contrast with now he's entering into Jerusalem with the songs of praise of the hoopla of people as compared to sitting lonely by the side of the road. Amazing. And it teaches us so much 
in our own lives about what we can do when we find ourselves in dire circumstances along the path of life. When you and I find ourselves there, it's not just acknowledging Jesus, it's not just calling out to his name, it's also following the example of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, random guy, no one heard of him before, no one heard of him after, but, but look at how he exercises his faith. Here's the key to this last section of this. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. When you find yourself in those places, it's time to exercise our faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, gives us a fantastic description and definition of faith. Here's what it says, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And verse 6 tells us, without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Here's the lesson for us in this. As we find ourselves in tough spots, it's not a time to withdraw from Jesus. It's a time to actually exercise the faith that he has given us. Remember, our salvation is not because we're so good or so smart or so strong. Christ gave us faith to respond to him and to acknowledge him. And then he gives us faith every step of the way to continue Continue to walk by faith and not by sight, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.7. Our temptation of believers, my temptation, would probably be just to sit there, let the crowds go by me and put my hands out and expect just hoping that they'd get filled. I already written off my future. Wallowing in this is just what it is. My lot in life, I can't do anything about it anyways, where Jesus says, no, no, come to Jesus. Hear his voice. Our, our hearts should light up with hope and promise as we hear the name of Jesus, just like Bartimaeus did. And then walk by faith. Don't just sit there. Ever get to that place where Satan tells you just to sit there? Like, you suck anyways, just sit there. No point, no point. No, don't just sit there. Walk by faith and not by sight. Be of good courage, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We're always of good courage. Because we know that we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, but we walk by faith and yet not yet, yet by faith and not by sight. So therefore we are of good courage. It's a salvation thing, it's a daily walk reality. And how does our faith move into action? Simply by acknowledging the presence of Jesus, calling out to him and knowing that he is in his character going to hear and respond. We don't have to wonder, we don't have to doubt, and now because he's hearing, because he's, he's responding, even if I can't physically hear him with my ears, I can now walk by faith and not by sight. I can get up and keep going on the path that God has called me to. This isn't a command passage, this is an invitation passage. Will you, in your circumstance, this very day, whatever is going on in your mind, whatever you're wrestling with in your heart, whatever's got you down, will you today choose to hear the voice of Jesus, to heed his invitation to come, and will you choose to get up and leave everything behind and walk by faith today. Oh my goodness, that's easier to said than done, isn't it? But again, we don't muster the faith. We don't manufacture the faith. We have faith as we see the character and the reality of Jesus and his saving and his sustaining grace in our lives. Here's what living by faith looks like. It's releasing your life into the controls of your Savior. It's acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. It's trusting that Jesus knows best. It's believing in Jesus' power. Know this, he can do anything, anything his plan is set out to do in your life. Nothing is impossible with God. 
It's trusting God knows best. It's believing in God's power. It's resting in God's plan for your life. I get it. It sounds easy, but so difficult as we walk through a pandemic, as we battle tough relationships, as we look ahead to the future, we say, what's it going to look like? We don't know, but we do know this. We can trust the voice of Jesus who tells us he has everything under control. We can walk by faith. We can walk by faith believing that he has us from start to finish and he can accomplish any miracle. He can remove any barricade that comes across our path that is going to inhibit us from accomplishing what he set out for us to do. It's also this. It's an invitation to simply get to Jesus. Some of us here need this invitation, need this exhortation again, maybe in this season that you've been really struggling. Isolation has crippling you, your job is not going well, the family tensions are rising because we are so much in each other's faces so much more often. We are having people withdraw and you're just kind of walling in this place of like, I just don't think I have the ability to keep going. I don't think I have the faith. Here, here's the invitation. Get up and go to Jesus. Stop laying in self-pity, your self-loathing, your self-isolation. I know we have to isolate. I'm not telling you to throw those things off, but, 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 but now we can have a little more freedom Get up, go to Jesus. Don't run to your mom or your dad or your best friend or all those people you think are gonna make this all good. If I can only be with them, then, then this is gonna be all glorious. No, we go to Jesus, go to Jesus. And we allow him to work in our lives. In this man's case, it was a complete healing. We've already studied that God doesn't always do it in this way. It's not a magic form. If I say these magic words and God's gonna heal me, maybe, maybe not. But here's what God is gonna do. He's gonna work in your life. He's going to call you to a deeper relationship with him. And he's going to propel you on the path of life that he has designed for you, whatever that might be. And we can have assurance of that. Let God work. Let God work. Let God work. Matthew 19, 26. No matter what we're facing, know this, that with man it might be impossible. With God, all things are possible. As we end this little subsection on following Jesus, the call to discipleship. I just want to remind you of this this morning. As much as Jesus asks us to give him our everything, don't forget that he also gives us his everything on the cross and continually by the greatest gift we could ever receive, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to continue working in us and drawing us near and calling us forward on the path of life. Jesus tenderly cares for your soul and my soul, and our church, and every other God-fearing, Bible-believing church in the universe. Because his nature is a giving nature. He came to not be served, but to serve. And out of the fact that he serves us, every single day of our lives, he serves us. What do we do with that? We have more joy and power and passion to serve him in return. We serve out of the reserves of what he's already served us with. He serves us to serve him. But don't miss out on the compassionate, tender, loving care of our God in the midst of this clear and determined call to discipleship. And as you see him, and as you know him, and as you love him, you'll realize that he is the greatest treasure. There's no one else to follow. And I willingly give my life to him. And will follow him anywhere.
discipleship. It's not simple, but it's simple. It's not easy, but it's easy with our eyes on the character and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, I'm reminded of the quote by J.C. Ryle, wherever we may be or whatever our circumstances may be, the Lord Jesus sees them. We are never beyond the reach of his care. Father, I pray today that you'd encourage us and you strengthen us just with your gracious, loving character. Father, I pray for faith to, to believe and to respond uh, to this truth. God, for those that are hurting, maybe even here in this, this facility right now, the few that are here, maybe the, there's someone watching on the screen that, that just need the mercy of God. Would this, would this passage point us to the reality of your heart for us? God, everybody's a somebody in Jesus' eyes and you don't, you don't pass anyone's cries for mercy. And God, when we come to you, we run you, would we get up and leave everything behind and come to Jesus? Oh God, would you show us your glorious face today? Would you draw us into your tender care? Would we be strengthened? Would we be encouraged by the word of God as we seek to live our lives for your glory? Help us, God. Enable us. Empower us. Excite us to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And as we follow you, God, may we never take our eyes off of you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.